Welcome to Good Together, the podcast that inspires you to create change in the world every day. Keep listening for actionable tips and tricks to incorporate eco-friendly practices into your daily life. I'm your co-host, Laura Alexander Wittig, founder of Brightly.eco, a platform that connects you with people, stories, and products dedicated to making the planet a better place. The new Brightly.eco platform will be launching very soon. We're super excited. And if you want to be one of the first to get access, head to Brightly.eco to sign up now. So today's episode of Good Together is a little bit different. Rather than having a conversation between myself and Lisa, my co-founder and co-host, Lisa's actually off this week. So I will be talking to Andrea Madho, who's the CEO and founder of Lab 141. Andrea is a friend of mine, uh, but she's also a powerhouse in the sustainable fashion industry, and she and I are going to talk about how the made-to-order clothing industry is actually going to start a revolution across fashion. We also talk about how the waste cycle created by the fashion industry is damaging the climate um, and how you can make a difference. So let's get started. All right, Andrea, thanks so much for joining us uh, on Good Together. We're super excited to have you. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and your audience. Great. Um, So I'm wondering if you could just give a brief intro um, as to who you are and, um, you know, how you got um, excited about Good Together and how you and I connected. I think it'd be fun. Um, well, this is this is quite a personal one. I um, am a frustrated fresh fashionista and the co-founder and CEO of Lab 141. But I had the pleasure of meeting you about a year ago at Project Entrepreneur. It's broken my heart that they're not doing a cohort three, but uh, Project Entrepreneur was an entrepreneurship um, accelerator incubator for female-led for for female-led companies um sponsored by rent the runway and uh, ubs union bank space and it was amazing and i got to meet you and so many other amazing women who've become part of my like posse for entrepreneurship so what an amazing opportunity and getting to know you was one of the highlights (laughs) yeah no likewise um i think you know women who are building early stage startups. Um, there's not a lot of us. So, so the more we can come together and help each other is great. And I, one thing that really surprised me when I was in that program and also part of other programs is the amount of women who really are choosing to build companies with mission driven, um, you know, edicts from day one. So, you know, obviously, um, your company is very focused on uh, sustainability as it relates to made-to-order fashion, which is the topic that we're talking about today. Um, but again, like I've always just been blown away about the amount of, the amount of women who are just doing things right. <laughs> um, you know, not to start off about the the patriarchy, but I think women come to entrepreneurship often from. Uh, a personal standpoint, a problem that they are solving for themselves and they realize that there's a greater community for it. And again, not to st- stereotype or generalize, but I know that doing the right thing is more important than doing the most profitable thing. And that's just a fundamental core belief that 
we started the company from and that we plan to move forward with. So, um, you know, maybe I'll never make that nth penny, but I'm okay with that because <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love it. So I'm wondering if you could tell, tell the audience a little bit more about lab 141, um, just briefly. So they have like sort of the background as to like your expertise in this arena. And then I think we can kind of get going with, um, just talking about made-to-order fashion and sort of its impact on the industry as a whole. Sure. Um, I almost always start with the same story about how I got to here because it just makes things so much easier. Um, totally. So a few years ago, I went to a mall with my mom and I had money like burning a hole in my pocket to go buy this, you know, expensive trench coat from a British brand, hint, 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 hint. And I walked in super excited and I walked out with nothing because apparently I'm too short, too fat, and too short-waisted for the fashion industry. And that day, I went to dozens of luxury stores, um, and I couldn't give my money away. And these retailers couldn't take my money. And they're in the business of taking our money or, you know, having a, a, fair, exactly. a fair exchange for products. And I thought, there's a fundamental flaw here if they can't take my money and I'm anxious to give it away. So rather than, you know, say, oh, I'm going to start my own fashion brand for plus petite women who are asymmetrical, I thought, well, how are clothes made and what are sizes and, you know, how does it all work? And because of my background in 3D printing, uh, I asked my partner, uh, my co-founder and you know life partner, Philip, like, why aren't clothes made the way 3D printed objects are? One item redimensioned and cut on a small CNC 3D printer one at a time at scale using technology. And he said, I don't know. That's probably how it should work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's what we're doing at Lab 141. We're working with premium brands who want to go direct to consumer and manufacture their clothing using our logistics, robotics, and analytics so that they can sell to anybody shape with no inventory commitment. So that's a lot of information packed into that sentence. But um, I suppose that's the point of this whole call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, one of the things I think is interesting is um, just to unpack a little bit is that you obviously, um, you know, started this company because of a personal need that you had. But of course, once you got into understanding more and more about the industry, I think it kind of, it seems like it evolved a little bit from, um, you know, a sizing perspective, which, you know, I mean, the topic here is like how we think made to order is going to start a revolution. And I do think like in addition, in addition to this uh, sus uh, sustainability impacts, there's also like societal impacts as well, as we think about inclusivity. So I think it's really interesting that kind of started, um, the genesis started there, and then you wanted to think more and more about like how things are made um, and, and thinking also about waste. So I think that's super interesting. Well, that's exactly it. I started with a problem that I've had my whole life that I couldn't fit into the traditional fashion cycle. And the more I've learned, the more I realized that the way business has been done for the last hundred years has been accelerating towards absolute catastrophe. So all of the things you've said, and then some, inventory is a dirty word. Um, excess inventory is an even dirtier word. $50 billion of dump clothing inventory every year in the United States is a real problem. Um, there are so many conversations around sustainability. And fundamentally, I believe that sustainability is a reduction in production. Don't make, exactly. don't make stuff that no one's going to buy. And so, um, the conversation is so big, and I have a feeling we're going to go down many of these tracks because it's not just one thing, it's it's everything. And so for Lab 141, it's not just about 
you know, finding a sustainable cotton, the whole supply chain, every single aspect of how clothing is made and sold is not working anymore. And we aim to solve part of that from a giant systemic change. So on demand, made to made to fit, we actually call it made for me. And I'll get into why okay. I, we don't use the term made to, made to fit. Um, and we work with brands because the problem that I encountered in that mall that day is I want to wear what everybody else is wearing. I want to wear the brands that I've always wanted that have spent millions of dollars to establish themselves. I just want that stuff to fit me. I don't want exactly, you know, uh, I use the example and I'm going to be very specific about the Diane von Furstenberg wrap dress. It's very iconic. It's been around since the seventies. I think it's, you know, part of the uniform of a professional woman. And yet as a five foot tall woman, who's a size 18 and short waisted, I can't fit into that dress. I never could. Uh, there are versions of it that I might be able to, but the high end luxury, you know, the quality version does not fit me. And and so I, I think that's really interesting, Andrea. You're you're talking um, about using this technology not just from like the perspective like of small brands that consumers would have to go out and find. You're talking about wanting to really disrupt these big household names, which I think is super. Important. Well, that's exactly it. We all know some brands that are doing it for themselves, but the biggest challenge isn't some new brand that's creating an on-demand made-to-fit for themselves and for some specific styles. It's the whole industry needs to change, and the whole industry is having a problem in figuring out how to change. So um, let me just say right out of the gate that Lab One Four One, and it's it's one four one, not one forty one. The only way that something fits you is okay. it's one item for one person. That's part of why we have our name. It's it's literally one item for one person. But um, Lab One for One is one of six companies globally that's in the Tommy Hilfiger Fashion Frontier Challenge. So Tommy Hilfiger realizes there's some big problems in the fashion industry in terms of real sustainability and real change that's coming. And they sent out, you know, it was an RFP essentially, a competition. And we're one of six companies that are, coming up with real solutions for some big problems. So we are dealing directly with Tommy and with PVH and we're competing against six other companies out of hundreds of applicants because this on-demand made-to-fit technology solution for these big systemic problems is the only way to solve it. And it's not just a new brand, it's business as usual doesn't work. So how do we start to solve it? Exactly. So, um, exactly. so part of yeah. that solution and there are a lot of elements to unpack. On demand means, um, for those of you who understand, you know, supply chain, the Toyota way is just in time manufacturing. Well, on demand is the way we do it is just after time manufacturing, kind of like with Kickstarter, you buy a bunch of stuff and then it's made after. And, and that's exactly. how we see the, the industry going forward, not having, since more and more um, people are, are buying online and there's a whole problem with some of the online returns, but let's just step away from that for a second. As we see the shift from traditional brick and mortar to online, um, the most people are used to placing an order and getting it a couple of days later. So our methodology is you place your order and we make it fast enough, but it's not just that we're sitting around waiting for an order to come in. Um, there has to be some urgency and it takes some time to set up machines. So we believe in the dropship model so that consumers are always getting new styles, but we can produce it very quickly. And I'm kind of, I'm jumping exactly. all over the place here with the on-demand and the made-to-fit, but we use the term made-to-fit as opposed to made-to-measure um, or made-for-me is actually the term we use because with made-to-fit, 
there's this expectation of perfection. Customers think, well, yeah. this is going to fit me down to the quarter inch. Well, your quarter inch is someone else's quarter inch. And um, we just want, we ask customers or people, hey, this is a style that you seem to like. We have worked with the brand to manufacture that in a small batch. And we want to know how you'd like it to fit you. Because you can have two identical twins and they fit it differently. So this is specific to our methodology. But in terms of bigger problems, um, producing after it's sold changes the, the cycle of value engineering a product as cheaply as possible, which is how the current fashion system is. I just got back from Magic um, in Las Vegas, which is a wholesale fashion show. Um, and they had hundreds, if not thousands of vendors showing wholesale product. And can I tell you, it was heartbreaking how yes it's i've been to magic before it's there's a lot to just see all of the clothing like basically surrounds everywhere (laughs) and it's all produced as cheaply as possible because the current fashion cycle builds in um discounts the whole i've saved money is a terrible thing because you're really not seeing the the cost to manufacture whether it's the fabric or the cost to the to the people who are making it. We just think the way it's been done is just wrong. Let's, let's. Exactly. You know, it's funny. It's funny that you're talking about discounts. You're 100% right. I actually saw a Twitter, uh, just a tweet thread um, the other day of somebody who took a screenshot of uh, J. Crew. He was trying to buy a pair of socks on J. Crew, and he literally was like, hey, um, good luck to everyone who's trying to sell full price out there right now because look at what j crew is doing i mean he was showing it you know as it's like more systemic of how the system is now but literally it was like the the socks were marked down already there was a promo code he could have put on top of it and he literally was like i would have paid full price for these like i don't understand this is part of the psychology of sales or discounts it's that well if you pay full price you're an idiot because Exactly that you're right. That's that's the whole that's what we've been sold. This is exactly it. I watch. um, So I work from home and I probably watch a little too much television. Um, It's always (laughs) playing in the background, but they have a lot of these um, morning shows that show, you know, the expensive version of something and the cheaper version. Well, and they're not. It's a false equivalency that you've saved some money. So in the economy of buying more and more and more. It's buy it on sale. You've gamed the system. You've you've earned something special. But the challenge is for some of the most luxurious brands, they understand discounting is a dilution of that brand at the super at the exactly. super. Because why would anybody pay full price if you know that you can wait a couple of days for it? So exactly. And I think you know the other thing I wanted to touch on too is like you're I, you're also tying this back to like quality of goods. Um, and like buying fewer, better things. And there's actually a quote I wanted to read um, from an article that we're going to throw into the show notes. Uh, But basically it says, the quote says, you know, as clothing prices have dropped, American closets have become increasingly overstuffed. Forbes reports that back in 1930, an American woman could expect to own a total of nine outfits, which is, I mean, and we think about those nine outfits, I'm sure were made for her, or if they weren't exactly made for her, they were impeccably tailored, right? Yes. Um, and, you know, according to the American Apparel and Footwear Association, the average American buys 65 pieces of clothing a year, and the Council for Textile Recycling estimates that they send about 70 pounds of textiles, to uh, mostly clothing, to landfills annually. So 
it's just, you know, people are buying more clothing um, and then we're keeping these pieces of clothing for about half as long as we used to. Um, and so, uh, you know, I there's so many things to unpack here, whether it's um, cutting down waste in terms of inventory and supply chain. And it's like, you know, coming from Brightly's background, I mean, we we have always operated on a, um, you know, a dropship slash sort of made for you type, um, you know, type of curation process as we send people out to brands. But I also think too, um, there's with this new model, there's such an opportunity to customize things for people and to really give them quality items that they're going to have forever. Cause that's what people Absolutely. used to do, right? Um, I live in Brooklyn, New York, and I have a very, I live in a very old apartment. <laughs> I'd like to think it's vintage, <laughs> but in my old railroad apartment, we have closets. And I remember when I first moved in, I opened up the closet and there was only one closet in this whole, in this whole apartment. It's because Victorians, not even in the thirties, Victorians had usually one to two pieces of clothing and that was it. You That's had your so crazy. I never thought about that, Andrea. You're right, though. Everybody always complains about lack of closet space. And maybe we should be asking ourselves, like, why do we need so much closet space? That's exactly it. The cycle we're in. So you used it used to be that there was your Sunday best and you had your work clothes. The whole co- the thing about fashion that's really crazy to me is aprons don't exist anymore because clothing is disposable. It used to be that you put on an apron to save your nice clothes. So there. Um, wow. I didn't I never thought about that. Too. Yeah. Mine is being blown, but you're right. People used to put an apron on to your own. Wow. That's it. That blows my mind. It, it, there's there's so much about the disposable. So let's just use the term correctly. It's disposable clothing that we're talking about now. The average use for clothing um, used to be, you know, months and years. Uh, there's a phrase, uh, good cost per use is how you can really evaluate how expensive something is. If you buy something that costs $500, but you wear it for 10 years, that was very cheap. If you buy something for $10, you wore it once because, oh, I'm going to a party and I really want something new today. Well, that's actually quite an expensive item. So the concept of something being inexpensive or cheap, you know, affordable, it's, let's make sure that we're using the right metrics. But in terms of, um, at Lab 141, and just for the sake of the environment, buy fewer, buy better, buy what fits. I think that with so many trends that are headed towards more and more disposability of clothing, there's also um, there's also a tailwind. Marie Kondo and her, you know, buy what you love or own what you love. Does it does it make you happy? This is a, a counterwind that's happening, and I'm really happy about that. The whole concept of having a capsule collection, fewer, higher quality items that you keep season after season, this is what's going to save the environment. If you think straws are killing the environment, think again. It's fashion. It really is. Exactly. It is. You know, and there's been debate on whether people like to say fashion is like the second or the third most polluting industry like that. Either the the second or third is kind of hotly debated. But we do know that this is something that um, is is just being awful. And actually, I was just looking at a report that was talking about the headline was the fashion industry emits as much greenhouse gas as all of Russia, which like that, that should just be sort of this visualization that we have. Um, And, you know, as much as people don't like to politicize what we're talking about, I mean, this type of consumption, this type of, you know, greenhouse gas emissions is definitively contributing to climate change. And I think, 
you know, unfortunately, there's just we're getting into hurricane season and we're starting to just see more and more, you know, insane weather. And I think we should all, in addition to helping, you know, support people who go through these awful, you know, inclement weather, weather uh, you know, systems, I think we should all just continue to think about what we can do on a daily basis. And one of those things, again, is to like purchase less. And I, you know, I love the fact, I love what I want to bring up um, what what you just said about cost per wear. Um, I was actually having this conversation with my husband the other day because I have wanted for a long time a um, packable down jacket. And those things are very big here in San Francisco. It's like, because we've got such random weather, the fog will come in and it'll be chilly in the morning and then fine in the evening or in, in the afternoon, et cetera. So I had been wanting one to last me a long time. And I love Patagonia. I love what the company does for the environment. I love their entire ethos. Um, but, you know, their their things are quite expensive. So I was trying to look at, you know, whether or not I could get a used one on Poshmark. Um, but of course, the question that, you know, came up for my husband and also from um, some some friends, they're like, well, why don't you just go to Uniqlo? Like Uniqlo has the same thing that you're looking for and it's uh, way cheaper. Um, and I was like, well, let me let me look at it. Let me research it. And it Uniqlo does not have a system where they can actually track where the, um, you know, the down feathers are coming from. Like they're, they, they're not part of, there's a system that Patagonia is part of. I can't remember the name of the actual system off the top of my head, but suffice it to say the, 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 the uh, long and short of it was I ended up buying this Patagonia jacket. One, because I knew that it was produced ethically and sustainably, but two, because I knew that it was going to last Absolutely. me forever. And they are committed to their own products. You can send it back to fix it. So That's right. this is one yes. of the other things that has stopped happening um, in the first world. People don't repair things anymore. I am old enough <clears throat> to remember to remember <laughs> resole tailors and to resoling my shoes. A lot of cobblers have yep. gone out of business because people don't resole their shoes or fix their shoes. They throw them out and they buy new ones. Well, I don't buy cheap shoes. I love quality shoes that are made. Um, so I still yep. resole my shoes and fix the heels. And I've heard from some, some friends of mine, oh, but that's really expensive. Well, for, well, no, if you have a pair of shoes all. that you absolutely love, then it's great to keep them. But um, I don't, I really do like to buy things, keep them, treat them well, and also resole or fix. Um, because for me, that's just my contribution to the environment. Um, in my TED talk, not to, to mention that particular one, but it, one of the things I say is there's a lot of disposability in our in our um, uh, society completely. And some people buy clothing. There are a lot of influencers or people who just buy clothing, take pictures, and then they return it to suggest this lifestyle of consumption that's apparently admirable. Well, those returns don't just, they actually hurt the Clothing returns are an absolute catastrophe to the environment. They are not going back, for the most part, into the sales cycle. If something is returned, it's not a first quality item. And very often that goes straight to landfill. Occasionally it'll go to a, a secondary market, but 35 to 50% of all online clothing purchases are returned. And the number one reason is for fit. But a lot of that stuff is being built into the price because retailers, online retailers realize that it's going to come back and you can't resell it. So the that whole online returns, free shipping, free returns 
it's turning out to be a disaster and it's only been 20 years that we're dealing with it and it's getting worse and worse and we're only now trying to figure out how do we undo this Pandora's box of buying whatever or buying six of one style because you assume it's not going to fit and returning it. Yeah, we it, we actually had somebody do that um, on the Brightly platform one time. She bought like three of the same dress and returned them. And it just like seeing that was just for me. I mean, there was she probably was used to doing that. And of course, this woman, there was nothing, um, you know, that was just kind of her the way she did things. Um, but yeah, there's actually a few things I wanted to unpack there. So one was... Yes, the return cycle is really damaging. Um, and actually, I think in a future episode, we're going to be talking to um, a few people in the industry who are specifically focused on like packaging and like coming up with reusable packaging and things like that. Um, but the other part that's that is key to think about is like the system that's required to actually return that piece of clothing. So it's not that just you're you're sending that piece of clothing back and it's going into a landfill. You also have to have that. Um, you know, the greenhouse gases um, emitted that are, you know, related to the transport of that item back. Um, and the, the the other thing I wanted to to quickly touch on was the influencer cycle. So this was, this is very <laughs> interesting to me. So we actually are doing um, a live event in October, um, October 13th in San Francisco. It's called Good Together Live. We'll put a link to that in the show notes, um, but we're going to have a panel that is filled with influencers that have kind of seen what their, um, I don't know, what their ethos has really led to. So like they're, they had been, you know, using all of these pieces of clothing just for Instagram pictures and then, you know, sort of prompting their followers to kind of just purchase, purchase, purchase. So they've, it's people who have decided to go, we're calling it their, their journey from like fast to slow fashion. And actually one of the women on the panel, um, she has started to make her own clothing. Um, like she's gotten really into like the renaissance of, of sewing and what that means for her. And she p- told me personally that, you know, she she definitely um, faced some backlash from some of her followers at first. So anyway, I think it's like we're kind of right on the cusp of, of these influencers starting to have this like existential crisis, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's it's fascinating. <laughs> there is so much change coming. And one of the biggest challenges I have is that there aren't actually words to describe what this change is. It's, you know, a lot of times in entrepreneurship, we use the analogy that um, if if uh, Henry Ford had asked people what they wanted, they would have asked for a faster horse. Well, it's very hard to talk about what's coming if the words don't exist. We're talking about a cycle at Lab One for One. It's it's a complete and utter supply chain change. So part of our on-demand made-to-fit manufacturing process for brands is also um, the fact that it, it, everything has to change around that. It's um, I'm stumbling for words because this has been one of the biggest problems for us. It's not made to fit. It's it's made to or uh, it's made for me. It's um, the secondary market. So you just talked about wanting to buy something in the secondary market. Thread up has become a really great alternative cycle for people. Um, I know that I think it's J.C. Penney and some other retailers are using that as a secondary market for clothes. But the problem for someone like me is that the clothes didn't fit the first time. They don't fit the second time around. So it's those of us who are, so let's just use some numbers for a second as well. I said, I just said that I'm five feet tall, size 18 and short waisted. 67% of all American women are size 14 or larger, which is plus size. 50% of all American women are size 
um, are five, four or shorter, which is petite. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's, it's mind blowing. And the fact that, you know, we're most of the clothing that's being produced and we're already saying it's being produced at like in a way that's harmful to the environment. So never mind that um, it's not fitting the vast majority of Americans. And so, I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's awful. There's a fundamental disconnect with what's produced and who's buying. So if we're talking about underserved communities of plus or petite or tall, tall, uh, tall women make up 6%. So 50 or petite, six or tall, that means only 44% of all American women are fitting in 92% of all the clothes that's produced. Yeah, and never mind so. that, you know, of course, the size <laughs> charts for anyone are just so different from brand to brand. So it can all, that's also awful too. Um, but yeah, I, I, I've really, you know, I think just to give people some, some actionable tips, um, that's how we typically like to, to end sure. our um, episode. You know, one thing that I think we, we can all do again is, is making sure that we're buying items that are going to last us. And I love the, the thought that we had around trying to calculate the cost per wear. I think that's something that, you know, it might, you might have sticker shock when you're looking at something that's made uh, to last, but it will last you forever. Remember that pair of like Levi's that you had when you're a little kid that lasted you forever back when they were still made in the U S right. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's absolutely. that. Um, do, do you have another tip that people can do? Um, buy what you love. Don't necessarily look just at the price. If you love something and you've wanted it, do not buy on impulse. Think about it. If you have to come back to a store, go back to a site, then it probably means you really want that thing. That's so right. Buy, so buy what you love, not necessarily because it's on sale or it's a discount. I hear time and time again about people who have closets full of clothes with labels on them because they never wore it they bought it because it was such a great deal but they didn't actually love it people so love buy what deals. you love <laughs> they love their deals but we've <laughs> got to maybe try and get away from that like start stop thinking uh, about that right <laughs> buy the items that you love yeah. you know marie kondo is one of my <laughs> I, I love her 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 thought about buying what you love keeping what you love so buy it and wear it for longer hold on to it for longer but wear it for longer is really the secret to, um, these are small things that make a huge impact. When you buy your clothes, wear it for longer. Yep. I love it. Well, Andrea, thank you so much for um, coming on to, uh, to the Good Together podcast. Really appreciate it. Um, so we'll, if you, if uh, listeners are interested in checking out to, uh, checking out what Andrea is up to with Lab 141, we'll absolutely include some links in the show notes. Um, but yeah, we really enjoyed chatting with you. Thank you so much for having me, Laura. I Clearly, we could go on and on about this, but we uh, could. <laughs> there, change is coming and there are small things that we can all do that have a huge impact. It's not catastrophic. It can change. Totally Bye. agree. All right. Thank Thanks you so much. I sincerely hope that you enjoyed that conversation between Andrea and I. I learned so much from her about the way fashion is created and manufactured, and my mind is still blown by the point she made about closet space and how that is like a very visceral, physical reminder of how things used to be different around the world. 
I think it's a great sort of anecdote to tell friends uh, when you're talking about this podcast to them, which hopefully you are. Uh, so if you would want to have more information about what we talked about, show notes are going to be available at brightly.eco slash podcast. And um, as always, please leave us a review and make sure you leave us uh, a voice message if you'd like to get involved in the conversation. So we're going to start featuring questions from our audience and responding to them in the podcast. So please go to brightly.eco slash podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at brightly.eco.